Good morning. Um, it is so good to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Alicia, and if <laughs> you can ignore this side, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but if I have not met you yet, um, I am a part of the leadership team here at Midtown, and uh, my husband Jacob and I have been going to Midtown for a little bit over about two and a half years. Um, I like to joke that uh, when Jacob and I first started dating, I was pretty uncertain about him, but he was super <laughs> certain about me, and so I just kind of kept inviting him to church, and he just kept coming. So um, here he is, front row. A round of applause for Jacob. All right. <laughs> he came to church. Um, <laughs> No, we, we really do love being a part of this faith community. It has meant a great deal to both Jacob and I. Um, before we move any further, i just like to thank and honor uh, Pastor Alex and Cassie Farron. Uh, they have given the opportunity of several communicators to speak and teach the, about what God is doing in our lives, and I am really thankful for their leadership. So, thank you. <laughs> Um, and on that note, if you have anything that you have questions about, maybe you have a qualm about in my sermon, please email your questions to Cassie at midtownkc.church. She would love to answer anything uh, that you didn't like. But hopefully that's not true. <laughs> Um, all right, before we get in, I have the privilege of talking about Haggai. Uh, before we start, I just would like to ask your, um, you guys a question. Uh, who in this room finds yourself saying these four-letter words often? I'll do it later. <laughs> you know, you uh, might say you have a tendency to procrastinate, and those four-letter words you find yourself saying with getting your oil change... Um, with going to the gym, cutting out junk food, um, maybe telling someone you love them, uh, and cleaning out a cluttered space. And procrastination is actually defined as putting off later what you should be doing now. So you know, actually, to, uh, when Jacob and I first got married, we, Jacob, had this idea that every Monday we would do Monday fun day. And Jacob's the probably the fun one in our relationship. But the whole goal was to do something fun the first month, first Monday of every month to kind of scare away the Monday blues. Um, I think we've done it once. <laughs> um, another thing we tried to implement was Yoga Fridays. I will say that lasted a little bit longer than Monday Fun Day by like two more days. And it wasn't even like consecutive Fridays. It just kind of maybe was in the span of like five months. Um, but both funny examples of not a high-risk thing. And honestly, Jacob has a lot of ideas, and he 100% is the fun one <laughs> out of the both of us. He helps me not take myself too seriously. <laughs> but, but we should probably stretch more, you know, probably should have more fun on Mondays. But these tasks are more out of, like, a laziness and, like, the pure spirit of procrastination. So I'm just going to define the difference between procrastination and laziness. A clinical psychologist describes the difference as laziness is like, I have absolutely no desire to do this. I'm actually unwilling to do this. Procrastination is, it troubles me to think about this. Therefore, it's hard for me to get the job done. And to me, that's a pretty big difference. You know, laziness is, you know, we just don't really want to stretch. 
because <laughs> you're a little lazy. Procrastination for me personally was talking about finances. I hated that topic. And some of you guys might have cringed in this room thinking about your finances. <laughs> but it was a subject that really troubled me to think about. Thus, I just continued to put it off. And you know, it's very human to procrastinate, and we have kind of become experts at delaying the important. So it's important to ask ourselves, how has procrastination presently and in the future affected our lives, specifically our spiritual lives? Um, when I uh, started to go back to church uh, a little bit post-COVID, it was really hard for me to get up on a Sunday and show up to church after a year of being a bedside Baptist for a while. I just pull out the laptop, open it up, stream a service. So when I started going to church regularly, it kind of felt like a sandpaper season where I was like, this is super uncomfortable because I was starting to exercise stuff in my spiritual life that was kind of set on the back burner. And we may procrastinate our spiritual lives for many reasons. I can imagine you guys can think of some yourselves. But often it might be a narrative we tell ourselves about God and how he actually feels towards us. You may feel like God is disappointed, angry, and he has those emotions towards you more than love. Spiritual procrastination can look like waiting on the most convenient time to do a Sabbath, to really rest from your work. You know, and procrastination is actually many layers of avoidance, <laughs> and we kind of dread the fear of change that we could actually look different in our spiritual lives. And some of you guys might feel a little salty that I'm bringing up your spiritual procrastination. Remember, Cassie's email. Um, <laughs> and some of you might feel the pang of guilt, which can further lead you more into spiritual procrastination. And some of us actually may feel longing come to the surface to be closer to God and ourselves than we actually are. I love this quote. Um, it'll be on the screen by Jerry Flowers. And he writes, procrastination is disobedience in slow motion. That kind of hurts. <laughs> so therefore, the question we must ask ourselves today is where am I spiritually procrastinating? All right, so now this brings us in to Haggai and a quick recap of God's purpose through the Minor Prophets. Um, most of us, as myself, before getting Haggai, never read the Minor Prophets. It was scary. They felt like it was a loom and doom, God shall smite thee type of scripture. Um, but that's not true. Um, God's purpose through the Minor Prophets was God's desire to renew a covenant relationship with his people. And because of their disobedience, that relationship was fragmented. So the prophet's role in society as a messenger of God was to bring correction and to renew that relationship. And in addition to these roles, I'd like to add um, what I've kind of learned through the Minor Prophets is not to view them as something scary or unapproachable, but rather God is not forgetting about the chosen people, it is God remembering them. So we see these themes emerge in Haggai, specifically in relation to the rebuilding of the temple. Haggai is one of three, one of, three of the minor prophets that prophesied post-exile. So 
a very, 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 very short history lesson. Do not take this as your biblical history uh, completely. Again, Cassie's email. But when, you, when Solomon built his temple, which replaced the tabernacle, the temple was the place where humanity and God overlap. So he needed a place to be amongst the people. So he essentially could take care of them. So now when Solomon built a temple, he had no lack. Solomon had all the wealth in the world, so he built in a very extravagant um, temple for the people to come and worship God. But as we read in scripture and as we know ourselves, people find idols to worship, they disobey God, they want to rule their decisions, actions, and even their worship on their own terms. Therefore, the prophets, as they prophesied, the temple was destroyed and the people were in exile. And this is where we find ourselves in Haggai. The returning people, a small group of Israelites, were allowed to go back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple after procrastinating it for 20 years. So Haggai delivers this message of hope to the Israelites that their work will be blessed, God will rebuild a new Jerusalem, and his spirit will be in their midst. This is very exciting. <laughs> I can tell you're very excited today. Um, <laughs> So this remainder of the sermon, we are going to be journeying and following God's presence in four parts of Haggai. So as we read in, uh, as Corbin read the opening scripture, I'm just going to read a part of it when he says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came and he said, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel? houses while this house lies in ruins now therefore thus says the lord consider your ways you have sown much harvest a little you eat but you never have enough you drink but you never have your fill you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes and that kind of feels like going to costco if <laughs> you've ever been somehow i don't know where all my money went after i go to costco but we kind of sense God's humor here when he says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? You know, when we don't like what God is asking us to do, we can make a lot of excuses and question his timing. And honestly, some of those excuses are pretty solid, even spiritual. <laughs> like saying, this feels too hard to be of God. Or I hope someone else steps up to the plate. I have too much going on in my own house. Later would be a better time with my schedule. So by the time Haggai speaks to these people, remember 20 years later, the remnant began the building process, but they stopped and only laid the foundation down. This begs the question, you know, why, okay, why did they stop? So actually Haggai and Ezra follow a very similar story. So if you read Haggai, you should also read Ezra. And Ezra... Ezra, <laughs> stopped because they had experienced hostile enemies. They didn't have enough manpower. They had a drought. And they knew it just wouldn't measure up to Solomon's temple. You know, and these are actually pretty valid reasons to argue, like, well, I'd rather use this money for my own house. But however, this opposition didn't turn them to God. It turned them to themselves. So God is challenging his people by asking Hey, is it time for you to live in luxury when my house lies in ruins? And we know that when God asks us a question, 
he's not really looking for new answers. You know, he knows. He actually asks us so what is in our heart is revealed. He asks us so we can know what's going on with us. And since Adam and Eve, our hearts have been easily bent towards sin, or as um, we say at Midtown, to our disordered desires, which turn into our priorities. And if we're being honest, we neglect what is being asked of us today and push it off until possibly tomorrow, possibly next month, next year, next decade. And for the people of God, it was almost two decades. In verses 5 through 6, God asks, you know, again, consider your ways. You've sown much. You eat. You never have your fill in your bag. Fill your bag with holes. You know, and actually, according to several commentaries, the Hebrew figure of speech for this phrase is literally put your heart on your roads. God is asking his people to consider what direction their lives are going and if they really want to continue that way. Because their identity was being found in their comfort, power, personal gain, money, and simply just kind of being okay with God. And this is a sneaky trap of sin. And what we actually see in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, when it writes, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. This is also what the Bible means when he says our sinfulness is blindness. So therefore, the presence of their sin, right, their disorder desires, is taking presence and keeping that relationship fragmented. Who knows if you're in a relationship with someone and you have all sorts of desires that are not lining up with what the covenant or in a marriage or friendship is aligned to, it fragments that relationship. And this is where we find the first group of people God is speaking to, the distracted, the people who say the things of God can wait. The people of Haggai were constructing their entire lives around the throne of self. In verses 7 through 11, God invites the Israelites to consider where their priorities have taken them. He asks the distracted to take a hard look at their decisions and evaluate the road their hearts are on and simply notice what has their distractions led them to. How has it affected their identity? You know, our, our sin kind of creates that short-term high when we focus on building our own souls or building our own lives, but does not bring lasting peace, love for our neighbor, or true joy to our souls. And this is actually God's presence in our misplaced priorities. He brings us to the end of ourselves so that we can turn away from our little kingdoms and find the life Jesus calls abundant. He is inviting us to look at what happens when we look to ourselves to fulfill our longing instead of God. God, in his love, gives us the freedom to choose, and it is a beautiful gift. But we don't have freedom from our consequences, and this is what God calls our attention to. All right, part two. Haggai addressed in their missed expectations. In verses 3 through 5 of chapter 2, he writes, Who is left among you who saw this house in his former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? 
Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So we actually see in scripture that some of the old men and women could remember Solomon's temple, right? It's about 70 years, so they're like early 70s, maybe some 60s. Um, but the... But they remembered God, uh, Solomon's temple with all the gold, silver, and beautiful treasures. And this temple, as I mentioned, was not going to compare any shape or form to what they were building. In Ezra 3, 11 through 13, actually describes what this experience was like for those who could remember. And it reads, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice, when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. You know, it was enough for just the foundation of the temple to make the older generation wail in tears and the younger generation shout with joy. And this brought extreme discouragement to the people of Haggai. And this is what would prohibit them from rebuilding. You know, as I was studying Haggai, and specifically in this section of scripture, I realized I met our second group of people, the discouraged. In the first section of Haggai, God addresses the distracted with their disordered priorities. And in this section, through unmet expectations... God addressed the discouraged. Now, I would imagine everyone sitting in this room has experienced some form of unmet expectations. We know personally that life does not go as planned. You could have missed expectations in your job, in your friendships, maybe your marriage, family, maybe even yourselves. And when those unmet expectations go unmet, we can feel bitter, we can feel angry, resentful, but ultimately discouraged about the future. And this is where we find our stories in Haggai. Now, through the discouraged Israelites, this led them to comparison. We see it in verse, verse 3 when God asks, How do you see it now? Is it not yet nothing in your eyes? And it is so hard to not compare ourselves. We compare ourselves to our friends. We compare ourselves to the money our friends make. We compare ourselves to families. We compare ourselves to people within the church. We can even compare ourselves to our past, you know, kind of how things used to look like. The Israelite people were stuck on the good old days and could not move forward into the future because their present was so sad. And they chose to hide their presence from God. And I begs the question, what does that look like for us? What does, looking, what does it look like for you to hide your presence from God? It could look like procrastinating hard things. It could look like daydreaming that you have another life. You have another totally different family or job. And it also could look like telling people you are good when you are not. 
And we actually have to really practice bringing our presence forward to God and choosing to not sit and scroll, busy or schedule, or numb yourselves in a way when our unmet expectations are right in front of us. And speaking to you today, I have um, found myself in both camps of people. I have been the discouraged and I have been the distracted. And like the Jewish people, I forget what it's like to have Jesus' presence restored in my unmet expectations and in my disordered desires. Um, Recently, my family and I cleaned out our garage this summer. Um, And we haven't touched our garage in over 13 years, probably. And so we kind of let things accumulate. You know, when you don't touch something for a long time, things build up, especially in spaces. And to just give a quick, brief background, um, my dad suffered a tragic accident when I was 12, and it led us to kind of put things on the back burner, one of them being the garage. And you know, when he fell, there was like this very immense disappointment discouragement, and a big unmet expectation of what we thought our family would look like. So this summer, we got together, rallied our friends, and Jacob, (laughs) he, uh, yeah, it's awesome being ready to sew on that supports your family, Um, got a dumpster, and we cleaned out the garage, which was filled with our childhood, and really the life we kind of used to have. As we got to the foundation of the garage, there were some things that we absolutely did not want to keep, like the 2009 Wii, but there also was a lot of things that we wanted to keep. You know, and in this moment, in deep pain and discouragement, as we're putting things into bags and collecting kind of all those disappointments, God asked me, do you trust me with your attention? And if I'm being honest, I don't know if I always do. What if I don't like what I find there? My mind is easily bent toward lack, fear of the future, avoidance. And in this moment, I felt Jesus remind my soul that if I learn to trust him with my attention, even in my immense disappointment and unmet expectations. He said to me, I will rebuild here. He said, Alicia, stop procrastinating your presence. I want to teach you a new way to carry life. And in the story of Haggai, God in verses 8 through 9 actually promised the Israelites the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, and in this place I will give you peace. We actually see this promise again when Paul writes in Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, as God's people, we experience a glorious beginning, but we have even a more glorious finish. Okay, last two parts. 
Um, in part three, Haggai calls them back to covenant faithfulness. I'm just going to kind of summarize uh, chapter 2, 10 through 19. But God gives an analogy of ritual holiness and uncleanliness to force a priest to kind of think of their spiritual status. And Haggai teaches us that God cares about how you rebuild after being disappointed. God actually cares how you rebuild after your unmet expectations. And he cares how you rebuild after your spiritual procrastination. It matters to him. There's a quote I love from Dean Orland. Uh, it'll be on the screen from his book called Deeper. And he writes, we are complicated sinners. Sometimes we take two steps forward, three steps back. We need time. Be patient with yourself. A sense of urgency, yes, but not a sense of hurry. Now, some of you might have flinched at the word urgency as, all right, do more for God. Keep, you know, keep piling on your schedule. Keep doing more. But rather, it is an invitation to give your full presence to God in all your situations. Haggai teaches us that there's an urgency to come to God in our inward being and sit with him there. His invitation is to open your life and heart to the possibility of real change. God is preparing our hearts for how to live in his kingdom, and he invites us to surrender to the kingdom of self. All right, lastly, and finally, in part four, Haggai discusses the future of God. You know, it was really easy for the Israelites as rebuilding the temple and to see it in no comparison to how it was before, to feel like they had no part in God's grand story. But that was not true. God says, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow their chariots and their riders. The worship team could come back up. Jacob. <laughs> God promises to fight for his people, and what can be shaken will, but what will remain will stand strong. And for the people of God, he promises the new kingdom is on the horizon. And you know, this kingdom will actually be an upside down kingdom where the first shall become last, the poor in spirit are blessed. The children are asked to come at his feet. The outcast is welcomed. The poor and marginalized have a place at the table. And the undesirable find their healing at the hem of his garment. We are asked to stop building our own kingdoms or queendoms and turn to dwell in the kingdom of God. When we repent and turn from God, when we shrink our spiritual procrastination, he promises to restore our souls, to give us that easy burden and the presence of his Holy Spirit to love God and to love our neighbors. The procrastinating Israelites could never imagine that God, Jesus, 
would benefit from the work of their hands. As a young boy, Jesus will sit in the temple learning, debating, asking questions. It will be in the temple they built that Jesus will walk, flip tables, preach, worship, and simply visit. The Son of God will sit there and bring his people back to him. And I would guess the Israelites couldn't have imagined the glory of God himself would stand on the foundation they were building. And when we turn to live in God's kingdom, when we turn from our disordered priorities and unmet expectations, it makes me think, could this be what Jesus means in Mark 12 when he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God? So, what lessons can we learn from the Israelites' spiritual procrastination? How can we fight this procrastination in our lives and even this week? And I would like to offer a few suggestions to help take one step one simple step forward towards faithfulness with God and the revelation of his kingdom. Suggestion one, reflect on your priorities. Have they brought you closer to God or farther away? Take some time this week to reflect on your disappointment and just try to identify where God where you have seen God at work when it didn't go as planned. I promise you, he is there. And oftentimes, it is our attention that is so far away that he wakes us up by having our money go through bags with holes, by all the drinks and all the food, never quench that hunger or thirst. And he meets you there. And he actually builds on that foundation you're building when you choose to give your presence and stop procrastinating it. You can process two of these answers to the questions above with your microchurch, a friend, a mentor, pastor. And then lastly, where do you need to be reminded of God's presence? What part of your soul has not heard from God in a really long time? And where do you need him to simply show you and remind you that the glory he is building will not compare to the glory of your present struggle? May we shrink from our spiritual procrastination and finish faithfully in God's kingdom you would stand with me, we'll pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for being in this place and rebuilding from our unmet expectations, our disappointments, and our disordered priorities that in the struggle 
and coming to the end of ourselves, you meet us there. And you rebuild on that foundation and you bring your love forward into all of those spaces that have been cluttered, filled with dust, that have not seen the light maybe in years. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would shine his light on all of those areas and that we would be reminded that you care about how we rebuild from the ruins and that you make it even more glorious than we could have imagined. Thanks for listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.